everyone. Welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast from the Washington Research Council. My name is Mary Strau. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Emily Makings and Chris Schobloom. We are recording this on January 26th, 2017. We're going to cover a variety of topics today. Um, first off is Chris, who's going to be talking about a new policy brief uh, we just put out this week on business taxation in Washington State. Um, and in a nutshell, the title is Washington State Businesses Pay 58% of State and Local Taxes. So, Chris, take it away. Yes. Um, well, um, every year, two national um, organizations uh, put out uh, reports on business taxes, um, mm-hmm which we uh, follow closely, and and uh, um, every year we put out a little brief of our own uh, summarizing what's in those two reports. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the, the first of the reports is done by the accounting firm of Ernst & Young uh, uh, for the um, uh, uh, for a national organization called the Council on State Taxation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the, um, the well, I would often just refer to this as the cost piece using the acronym yes. for the Council on State Taxation. Though the work, I'd say, is really done by Ernst and Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, um, this um, um, piece, this, this report, does a, a catalogs um, the various taxes paid by businesses in each of the 50 states um, and, and compares that to the total amount of taxes collected by the uh, by the by, the states um, and uh, and processes that in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, uh, the key thing on this, uh, you you hit one of the important numbers. Let me go through the three. There are three ways that they um, 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 uh, benchmark or gauge these uh, these taxes. Uh, the first way is. Um, the tax is paid by business as a share of uh, what businesses produce. Hmm. Um, the uh, gross state project uh, product uh, uh, from uh, uh, emerging from the private sector in the hmm. state, uh, and and by that measure, uh, business taxes paid by business uh, are equal to five and a half percent of the of the state gross state product. So that's. Uh, so five percent of what businesses take, five and a half percent of what businesses take goes is taken over, taken over by the state and its local governments. Okay. And we rank tenth among the fifty states by that measure. Tenth highest. Tenth highest among, among the fifty states. Interesting. Uh, a second way that that they um, 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 process that um, gauge that the amount of taxes businesses are paying is is measured against the uh, the number of employ- people that businesses employ. Uh, and so the taxes that businesses pay uh, come to $7,600 per employee. That's in, in Washington. That's in Washington. Mm-hmm. And, and we rank fifth among the states in that. Yikes. Uh, that's that fifth measure. highest. Yes. Okay. So uh, and, and, the, and then the third measure mm-hmm. just simply looks at the, 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 the taxes business pays uh, as a share of the total amount of taxes collected. Uh, and by that, we're, um, uh, the, our share is 57.8% of taxes coming from business, and uh, we rank seventh highest in that ratio. Wow. Um, and it's, um, you know, there are some states that rank 
considerably higher than we do, say, uh, for example, in Texas, um, uh, 61.5% of the of uh, taxes collected uh, by, by single governments is from businesses, but they have a, a generally lower level of, of state of taxation in Texas than they do mm-hmm. here. So the uh, um, uh, Texas's taxes, uh, uh, the business uh, tax rate, effective tax rate, is only 3.8 percent there, and okay. it's so they're only collecting. Um, 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 $6,800 per employee mm-hmm. um, as, as opposed to our $7,600. Um, so that, that's it for the, cat, the cost report. So that gives credence to when you hear business owners um, talk about business climate problems in Washington State. Uh, these numbers buttress those complaints. Yes, yes. But I think also they, when 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 folks uh, going to the other side, folks uh, who will complain that businesses don't pay their fair share. Exactly. Um, I think it. I think it's. Uh, it is. Um, uh, businesses are paying us a, a, a high, an unusually high share of the tax burden in this state. It, sh- it sure seems like it, um, and it's, it's you know it's certainly um, you often hear. Um, among certain legislators or certain state uh, policymakers about the the unfairness of the tax system. And usually when they say unfair, it, they usually mean to imply that there aren't enough taxes being paid um, or that Washington doesn't rank high enough in terms of our tax burden. Um, so these numbers provide a, a certain... Um, additional perspective to balance yes. out those claims yes 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 um, and and so this is a I, the, the cost study I think we, we can um, as a study of business taxes we can think of as a results study mm-hmm. it's looking at just how much money is being raised from businesses on taxes okay. and and the, the second study that, that, that uh, we wanted to mention is from the tax foundation uh, they have a state business um, tax climate ranking across the states, and, and this is uh, the, the the tax foundation's analysis is more structural. They're looking at, at tax structures uh, across the states, and, and 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 a detailed examination of various elements in tax structure. Mm-hmm. Um, over a hundred different variables they're looking at in this, uh, and and and. Washington doesn't rank too badly in theirs. They, we're ranking 17th in, the, in our business tax, tax structure, which mm-hmm. uh, in, on a ranking where number one would be the best from their point of view. Yeah, um, it's it's worth noting that that the reason that we rank as highly uh, is that we do not have an income tax. Uh, right, and they they downgrade states heavily because of the presence of an income tax. Think, yes, which we don't um, have, and we yeah. rate we rank sixth on income tax on the personal income tax. The they personal. actually, I should would would have noted that 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 we do not have a standard income tax. Right, um, the Tax Foundation does believe that our B and O tax is an income tax mm. uh, to the extent that it. It applies to um, uh, businesses where the um, 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 where the individual where the business is 
taxed for federal purposes through the personal income tax. Okay. Uh, so they're uh, S corporations, sole proprietorships, um, okay. uh, uh, partnerships, and such things. Okay. And just, uh, and, just and, really quick for our listeners, uh, for those who don't know, the B and O tax is the our state's business and occupation tax, which is a, a tax on gross receipts. Gross so it's not receipts. even a tax. Not a tax on profits. So no, you, a, you're taxed before you make profits. You could it's, maybe it's a, not it's have a tax. A prof- you could not make a profit at all, but you could still be taxed just on yes. what you're taking, and it doesn't it doesn't take into account your expenses. Yes, it's a it's a it's a it's a, a tax on gross income, not net income. Right. Um, yeah. And corporate, you know, um, or profits, mm-hmm. um, and then they they rank us um, at very low, um, and so we we rank because of the B and O tax. We're not the best, but we're the sixth best in personal income taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also count it as a as it, as it applies to C corporations. Those are co- um, corporations that are subject to the national, uh, the federal, and also state corporate income taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rank us as, as a, uh, in terms of that as 48, one of the very worst states. One of the worst states. Uh, okay. So, not too. So there, not there too you good. go. Uh, I mean, the, the good the good thing is that uh, if, if you believe this ranking, the, uh, um, the, um, the good thing is that we, our tax system ranks pretty highly as it applies to business. Uh, but of course, the, on the flip side of that is the reason is because of the lack of a, of a personal income tax. And, yes. And uh, if you're um, it definitely yeah. skews skews the results, yeah. I would say. So, and, and this doesn't provide much information for uh, um, uh, much um, um, uh, ammunition for someone who wants to argue that we should have a personal income tax. <laughs> right. Yeah, because if they were going on these rankings, if we were yes. to institute one, that our, I mean, our our ratings would uh, plummet, especially yes. if they didn't, especially if they didn't get rid of the BNO tax. Um, so yes. if we had a BNO tax and a personal income tax, we would be down in the toilet, as the saying yep. goes, an unofficial uh, ranking. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's it. I think of what I have to, on those two reports. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, you know the 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 cost, the COST, the 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 business tax burdens. Um, study is is especially pertinent because it shows we're not doing too great in terms of. Um, the burden we place on businesses. Um, and it also rebuts a lot of the claims that are made about how um, businesses aren't paying their fair share or that, you know, uh, as some have argued, that our tax system, we're not taking in enough tax dollars. We need to take in, in more. Um, you know, we seem to have a, to put it mildly, a rather robust taxation system on our on our businesses, on our employers in the state. Yes. All right. Well, yeah, this was really interesting. And uh, for our listeners, we'll have a link to this study. Um, it's a policy brief. It's only four pages, so it's easy yes. to read, lots of good charts, lots of good numbers, and it just, you know, it's just facts. It just gives you um, the numbers and uh, helps you to understand how we compare uh, with other states, which I think is helpful because obviously um, we're in competition with all of our other states to attract employers and um, and to retain employers. And so it's important to keep these things in mind. 
um, because the businesses certainly are when they're deciding where to locate or if they're thinking about possibly moving. Um, the, these are all things we and policymakers uh, want to keep in mind. So thank you for that, Chris. That was really, really informative. Um, and Emily, you have some new information, brand new um, budget numbers for, uh, that, uh, that apply to the state budget and to Governor Inslee's budget proposal. Yes, uh, earlier this week, the Economic and Revenue Forecast Council adopted a, an official four-year outlook that is based on the governor's proposed operating budget for the 2017-19 biennium. Mm -hmm. And um, they show that the while the governor's proposal is balanced in the in 2017-19, in the second biennium out, it would be um, the ending fund balance would be negative two billion dollars. Wow. So, and that's um, despite the fact that his uh, proposed revenue legislation, which would bring in about four billion dollars in the first biennium, it increases to seven billion in the second, but we're still, we would still be uh, in the red by $2 billion. Yikes. Um, uh, now, so I'm sorry to interrupt, and I, yeah. this is probably just a rhetorical question. So, even with all those taxes, a $2 billion negative ending balance, I mean, where is, how are we supposed to make up for that? Just not just not have a balanced budget or well, yeah. raise, yeah, more, raise more taxes or hope the fingers crossed the economy gets better? Well, the, as part of the governor's proposal, he does uh, propose suspending the four-year balanced budget requirement. Right. So basically it would just be ignored. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Just to, I, wish I, could do, I wish I could do that with my bills. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So there's that big, um, big number out there. Okay. So the answer um, is, with the suspending of the four-year balanced budget requirement, the answer is we would just ignore the fact that we would be in the red. Yes, because okay. it would be balanced in the in the current biennium. Okay, it would gotcha. if if the governor's proposal is enacted by the yeah, legislature. if it were to be enacted, which as yeah. we know it it won't, but just for theoretical purposes. Okay, sorry, right. go ahead. I just wanted to yeah clarify. So there were two there were two kind of surprises to me in the outlook. The first is related to the McCleary compensation amounts that the governor mm -hmm. proposes. Uh, initially, when I looked through everything, I thought it, the budget documents seemed to indicate that he was expecting to spend, uh, or that complying with McCleary would, co would cost about $2.7 billion in the 2017-19 biennium. Mm -hmm. But the, based on the, out the outlook, is showing that it would be $2.95 in the in the first biennium. And that's uh, apparently so. In addition to uh, the increases for uh, teacher salaries and um, uh, and educator training, mm -hmm. he's also saying that teacher mentoring, uh, alternate routes for teacher preparation, and principal support and mentoring would be considered McCleary spending. Oh boy! Um, and that and that two point nine five billion is really mostly occurring in the second year of the biennium. Okay. So when you get out to the second biennium in 2019-21, the whole package would actually cost $5.55 billion. Wow. Uh, so that's a pretty big 
on the uh, closer to the higher end of what we've been seeing for estimates for how much McCleary is going to cost. Oh yeah. Um, so who knows what that's gonna, <laughs> what the legislature will decide on that one. Uh, so yes. that was interesting. And then the second thing that was interesting was um, that the governor is proposing to begin complying with the initiative 1351 early. So and that, of course, is the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You were just... Yeah, Initiative 1351 was approved by voters in 2014, and it um, would reduce class size... Well, it does. It reduces class sizes in grades uh, K through 12, mm-hmm. and also funds um, not just teachers, but also uh, a num- many more support staff. Right. So, um, Despite, um, as we, we've noted before, but it bears repeating, despite um, lots of research showing that class size reduction um, is most effective in grades K through three, right. which legislators have funded, um, just because it's, it would be so expensive, um, they have suspended four grades four through 12 class size reduction because it's just, it's not, it's not, there's not enough money uh, to pay for it. So anyway, go ahead. Well, um, so it, there's kind of a, a uh, long, long history with this class size reduction. Idea. I mean, the, it goes back the Quality Education Council, which was set up by one of the, I'm kind of blanking on how the time frame went, but mm, uh, yes. along with the bills that were created to comply with McCleary and, mm-hmm. and define basic education and all that. And the Quality Education Council looked at a bunch of ideas about what basic education should be. Right. And it considered um, class size reductions in K through 12. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it only recommended reducing class sizes in K through 3. Right. Um, but then, like, as part of the McCleary uh, filings, all the plaintiffs and um, and other parties that are briefing the court kind of keep bringing up this grades 4 through 12 class size reduction. Mm-hmm idea um and so far i mean the courts always says k3 is what's part of mccleary yeah but then um they ran this um this initiative was passed that would reduce class sizes in four through twelve and it was Um, that the initiative was backed by the teachers union i'm sure what i can't remember exactly but i'm I'm sure that's right i think i hope i'm not making up fake news (laughs) i'm pretty sure it was though (laughs) So the um, so to be clear, K through, K through three class sizes were, have have been um, were lot were um, required already before this initiative. Um, that was not a new thing. This just added four through twelve, and it um, it moved up the implementation of the K through three, so they would have occurred earlier than under McCleary. Mm. Um, but um, in twenty fifteen, the legislature decided to defer thirteen fifty one. Um, and this was part of the, the deal that finally ended the, the budget session, the budget, um, negotiations in 2015. Um, so, so it was, um, it was deferred until, um, 2019-21. So now it's back into the budget when the four-year budget window, which is why it's coming up again. And, um, so there, so it's a big number. It's, um, and when you get into the, the fiscal analysis of this, it's kind of tricky because back in 2014, OFM estimated that it would um, 
cost $3.8 billion when it was fully implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the first biennium, it only has to be 50% implemented. And the second biennium, it's, it has to be 100% implemented, but only in the second year of the second biennium. So it's not until the third biennium when you actually see the full fiscal impact from the initiative. Okay. And so the $3.8 billion is a huge number to begin mm-hmm. with. But also that does not, didn't include any capital spending for new classrooms. Okay. And it did not, and it also, I mean, it doesn't take into effect, into account um, the increases in salaries that are going to be required under McCleary. Yeah. So yeah. every one of those new teachers is going to cost a lot more. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking about exponential. Right. So, uh, so it's probably, it's even more expensive than it was two years ago. Um and now they're going to have to figure out what what to do with it, whether or not they just they repeal it or defer it again, or they mm-hmm. decide to pay for it somehow, um, or get rid of the four-year uh, right. budget requirement. Who knows? But um, it's a big number that's sitting out there in the, the second biennium. Yes, and it's certainly, you know, now that uh, the state senate... Uh, you know, politics definitely plays into this because uh, 1351, I just checked, it was backed by the, it was the the two, the state teachers union and the national teachers union um, backed this uh, full K through 12 class size reduction initiative, even though, as we pointed out, research shows you get your most bang for your buck um, and just the most benefit period, regardless of money involved right. for reducing uh, class sizes in K through three, you get much less return for reducing classes four through 12. It's basically about hiring new teachers. Okay. If we're just yep. going to be, if we're just going to be honest politically, it's about hiring new teachers and giving the teachers union more members and more. Well, not uh, just teachers. I mean, it's actually more support staff. Yeah. More support staff. And, right. Cause and that's, have more, and yeah. the, it's a support yeah. staff actually that governor Inslee is funding in the, in the current next biennium. Right. He, it's the, um, uh, the nurses, the social workers, psychologists right. and guidance counselors. Yeah. That's, yeah, so that's the portion of 1351 that he is moving up. So, right. So, uh, um, you know, it, <laughs> we've got a situation in the state Senate now where, um, very sadly, tragically, state Senator Andy Hill from the 45th district, um, died a few months ago. Dino Rossi is filling in for him, but there will be a special election in, um, November and, you know, that could very well go to the Democrats. And, you know, it will just remain to be seen if <laughs> there's going to be the intestinal fortitude um, to say to the teachers union, look, we don't have the money for this. You know, it's not, it's not a wise use of taxpayer dollars. And we've got to put it into, you know, existing teacher salaries and all these other things that we have to take care of. So, I mean, that kind of throws another wrench in the works to see to see how much the teachers union will actually demand full funding of 1351 or if they're willing to compromise on that. Yep. Yeah, as you were, as you, as you said that there is a um, lot of research out there about things that are, uh, that they give you the most bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's stuff that, that we haven't really gone fully into yet that could be like such as earlier learning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, early learning. Which would be which would be much more um, uh, cost of the, provide much more bang than reducing class sizes in the higher right. grades. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's actual and, research on early learning that shows how effective it is. And, it, you know, that kind of stands to reason if you yep. um, are not targeting, you know, especially uh, kids who come from lower-income, disadvantaged yes. uh, communities or families, and they're not getting being taught their ABCs and whatever early on. You know, it's, it's kind of a common-sense thing, so... You know, living in the world that we live in where we have a limited amount of funds, um, yep. yeah, it just, it stands to reason that, that, that you would, you would put the money behind um, initiatives that have been researched and where the data bears out um, spending the money. Um, whether that will happen is anyone's guess, um, since politics doesn't always abide by common sense, right? Yep. <laughs> on either side. Um, okay, sorry, I kind of interrupted, but I did want to. I just did want to inject that there are these sort of political calculations happening as well. I know it's shocking when we're talking about the legislature, um, but sorry. So sorry, Emily, I interrupted. Uh, no, I think that, cov- that pretty much covers it. Um, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, one more thing before we open it up to general discussion while we are talking about uh, speaking of schools and class sizes, I did want to bring up one topic um, related to the Growth Management Act um, and specifically um, an issue that we've been talking about over the past year or so. Um, the Growth Management Act as it relates to school siting, uh, S-I-T-I-N-G, where, where people can place schools. Um, there's been a big problem uh, primarily with more rural and suburban schools where the Growth Management Act, which is the state's um, major land use uh, restriction law, it's been around for 25 years. We did a big report on it last year. Um, The Growth Management Hearings Board uh, came out with a, um, I'll editorialize here, a rather absurd ruling that said students in... I think it's urban dis in ur- who live in urban uh, areas as defined by the Growth Management Act, and I'm putting urban in air quotes because it can be people, you know, kids who live in a town that has one um, traffic light. Okay, we're not talking about downtown Seattle here. Cannot attend schools that are in rural areas, so they're creating this completely arbitrary. Um, differentiation or they're segregating urban students from rural students and it's completely uh, it's just thrown some of these these school districts into a into a terrible situation Um, they are not allowed to build or expand in any way even to the point of not being able to uh, erect portables at existing schools um, that are outside these urban growth boundaries Um, it's you know, it's a it's a really terrible situation for like the Bethel School District, a variety of school districts. Um, they're trying to get some kind of relief in the form of a of a legislative um, change to the Growth Management Act to override the uh, growth ma- the hearings board um, decision. Um, so that they can accommodate these students. A lot of these areas, you know, are uh, experiencing significant growth. 
number one. Number two, with McCleary, where they have uh, the class size reduction mandates, and then also separate from McCleary, where the legislature has passed um, uh, new legislation, which is great, expanding, um, say, computer science education uh, and whatnot, um, these schools need to expand. They need more space. So from one part of state government, they're being told, you need to expand, you need more space for these kids. And then from another part of state government, from the uh, Growth Management Act side, they're being told, nope, you can't expand. You're stuck. You can't even put up portables. So um, last year, it appeared that they were getting fairly close to a legislative solution on this, with the exception of the uh, rather extreme environmental group, uh, FutureWise, which is pretty much opposed to any changes uh, in the Growth Management Act. Um, they were even considering um, hoping to hire the Ruckels House Center for doing this mediation. Then, boom, all of a sudden, and I don't know what decision make, making went into this, um, the, the Growth Management Act was transferred from the House Local Government Committee, where I think it's, it's been as long as I can remember, to the House Environment Committee. Um, now, I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody. It doesn't. That doesn't sound good to me. Um, it sounds to me like that means that this issue is dead. And I also haven't heard any more talk of um, the Ruckels Health Center being hired so that we can come to some kind of um, uh, compromise on this issue. So uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know if any, there is a bill in the House. Unfortunately, it looks like the bill, the school siding bill in the House, there was a hearing on it a couple weeks ago. Um, it, I think it's perhaps not, not written in a way that placates local governments enough. Uh, the Washington Association of Cities and Washington Association of Counties, who had previously been on board, uh, testified that they had serious concerns about the legislation. Um, and I haven't seen any legislation in the Senate. so. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel sorry for these these schools because they're they're really in a bind where they have to serve these new students. <laughs> they're being told they can't expand. Um, so we'll we'll keep you updated. I'm going to do a little more digging and I might do a, a blog post on it. Um, but that's that's the situ situation there. Um, so let's see. I guess any more thoughts on on the budget, how things are looking, and on McCleary. From you guys, I mean, at no, this point, it's all sort of lots of speculation and not, yeah, um, no, no language. Yeah, no language, and of course, I should add, we we're still waiting on a um, proposal from the Senate Republicans. Uh, um, you mean for the education funding? Yeah, plan for education funding. Yeah, yeah, that should be coming. I think they said at the beginning of February that's going to happen. Yeah, that's what I've seen too. Yeah, so uh, we'll just wait and see what, what happens there. And um, uh, it'll be very interesting to see their revenue sources because I'm fairly sure there will be some kind of levy swap. Um, but there, I, you know, I just think the numbers 
uh, demand that there are going to have to be some additional revenue sources, I think. I don't think they can do it within existing revenues. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see um, what they come up with. And uh, when they do, we will be writing about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, thank you to our listeners. And again, a reminder, you can listen to us, um, of course, on our website, researchcouncil.org. Uh, you can also listen to our podcast on iTunes, as well as Stitcher and TuneIn, um, also SoundCloud. Um, just do a search for Washington Research Council and um, our podcast will come up. And please subscribe if you're so inclined. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.